Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Apparently on, G- on um, Restart the Heart Nights, I get a shorter time to teach. So we, uh, we're in uh, John's Gospel and we're taking a look at the last part of John's Gospel, and it's in a series that we've called Last Words. And we've called them the Last Words because it's almost as if Jesus is, is downloading stuff as fast as he can, as deeply as he can, as memorably as he can, to his disciples because he's about to leave them. And he's got to leave them with some stuff which is going to equip them to lead his stuff in this world. And it's almost as if we've said a number of times, until you're probably sick of me saying, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, you're going to forget some of the miracles and the details and, and how that works. Some of you are going to disagree with one another about who was there and who wasn't there and what actually happened and whether there were this amount of things or that amount of things. But, and you're going to forget some of the encounters and who saw what and who said what. But this I don't want you to forget. I want this indelibly etched If you can unindelibly etch something, I'm not sure, but you probably can't. But you know what I'm saying. I want this lasered in your heart and in your life and in your mind so that you will always reflect on this stuff because these are the things. These are the things. This is what it means to carry me into the world. And Jesus, in that incredibly beautiful and mastery way that he does, He invites the disciples in to an intimate relationship with him and then he challenges them out into demonstrating his love to the world. He starts off in John chapter 13 and says, this is the full extent of my love. And then he does this audacious thing. He takes a towel and he washes his disciples' feet. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to share my love with the world. In John chapter 14, he starts to talk about a father who has a house and that house is home. And he talks about all the security of living out of the father's house. And then he says this audacious thing. He says, you will do the things I did. And you will do even greater things. Which is just crazy stuff. John chapter 15, he says, you know, the secret to fruitfulness in a disciple's life is all about remaining and abiding in the vine. And you can do that moment by moment, day by day. So there's all this incredible invitation and it must have fried the disciples' mind and it must have puffed out their chest at exactly the same time and they really didn't know what to think. And then we get to John chapter 16. And in John chapter 16, I mean, if you skim read it, you think this is a nice chapter. But if, if you stop for a moment and you read this with, with tempo and with depth, you see this is about as challenging as it gets for the disciples of Jesus. And when you're carrying this stuff into this world, but I want you to be realistic about the stuff that you're carrying. Let's just read. From John 15, verse 26. Jesus says, when, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. 
And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this, so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me where you're going. Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And then I want you to read together verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I haven't got very long, but I I just wanted to, um, just thought it was right to bring something that is the kind of sermon that I really don't really want to preach, because I like to preach nice sermons, you know, where you go away going, hey, God is great, this is lovely, I want to be part of the gang of God. But, but, but this kind of thing is, is the kind of thing I think that God would say to us quite seriously around what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it really mean to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ? What does it really mean to take up his cross? What does it really mean to walk with him? Jesus turns the challenge meter right up on his guys who are just really enthusiastic. They're going to demonstrate the love of God. They're going to be fruitful, much fruit, more fruit, fruit that will last. This is going to be incredible. And then Jesus throws this kind of hand grenade in and says, I want you to get serious and realistic about what this means. Don't you all charge down the front with I've decided to follow Jesus stuff until you actually realize what this stuff means. Let's do something really unusual. Let's run to the last sentence of this chapter. Verse 33. Jesus says, I have told you these things, in other words, all the stuff that comes before, all the really challenging stuff, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, I've overcome it, by the way. I mean, I've overcome the world. I'm bigger than the world. 
I have overcome the world. I am overcoming the world. I will overcome the world. I'm conscious head of the world right now. But in this world, you're going to have trouble. Greek word flipsis. It doesn't mean just a, a wee bit of trouble. It doesn't mean you're going to have a spot of bother every now and again. Some of you. Most of you are going to have a really easy life. It's going to be great because as soon as you start following Jesus, everything goes right. We all know that. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to get the, the, the husband or wife of your dreams. You're going to get your dream job. You're going to be a financially secure for the rest of your life if you follow Jesus because he's just into blessing you big style. No, no, Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have flipsis, which means crushing, back-breaking, heart-stopping affliction. That's what you're going to get. Why are you going to get that stuff? Because the kingdom of God is thoroughly and radically opposed by the kingdom of darkness. And there will be one day when, when the kingdom of God will be all there is. There'll be nothing other than the kingdom of God. The rule and reign of God where everything that God wants and everything that God desires and everything that God ordains happens, one day that will be all there is in this world. But until that point, the kingdom of God is opposed radically by the enemy of God. And because that is true, you're going to experience pain. And you're going to experience heartache. And you're going to experience back-breaking, crushing, heart-stopping affliction because evil surrounds and evil will be your experience. Jesus says that you will experience flipsis. So Jesus is saying to these guys, there is an amazing legacy. I mean, it's huge. It's incredible. You're going to bear fruit in every season. You're going to demonstrate the love of God to people. You're going to be my disciples. You, you, you are as good as, as it gets as far as demonstrating Jesus, all the good stuff. You're going to do the things I did. You're going to do even greater things. Miracles are going to pour out of you. It is going to be an incredible journey. But in amongst that incredible journey, there is a storm coming. And it's not just a little bit of trouble. It's big trouble. It's www.trouble.com, serious trouble. You've never seen it. It's, I can't believe I just said that. It's not in my notes, I swear. Must have been the Holy Spirit. <laughs> You're going to say trouble. In other words, there is a resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. There is life in all its fullness. The cross of Jesus Christ is not the destination point for the Christian life. It's the embarkation point of the Christian life. We're supposed to walk with the cross behind us, aware of the cross of Jesus, into life in all its fullness. But there is also a cross. There is also suffering. There is also pain. There is also heartache. There is also disappointment. There is also rejection. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You see, the disciples knew that because they knew that the word disciple didn't just mean follower of Jesus. It meant follower of anybody. 
It was part of their culture. If someone was following somebody, they were a disciple. And they knew that to follow somebody as their disciple didn't just mean listening to their teaching and going and acting upon it. It meant walking in their shoes. It meant following in their dust. It meant imitating their lifestyle. You didn't just do what they said. You experienced what they experienced. And they knew that Jesus had experienced betrayal and rejection and abandonment. And they knew that he said he was going to a cross and he was going to die. Listen, if you really want to follow Jesus, I mean really want to follow Jesus, I know this is old school preaching, but if you really want to follow Jesus, then not only are you going to experience his joy and his love and his peace and his victory over Satan and hell the devil, and everything else. Not only are you going to be involved in the greater things, you also have to be willing to take up his cross and walk. You will also experience his sufferings if you want to experience his glory. You have to experience the cross if you're ever going to experience the resurrection. You will have flipsis in this world. And maybe that's your experience right now. Maybe you've come here this evening and flipsis, you didn't know the word, but actually you know the experience. Do you know, I, I, I know so many Christians who, um, they're anxious about the storm that they're facing and they're extra worried that they're anxious about it. Because they know that they shouldn't have anxiety in this world and they should be at peace about the stuff. But the storms are raging around them right now. And here's the thing. I think Jesus is more concerned about you not experiencing trouble in your life than he is about you not experiencing peace in the trouble. Because Jesus says, you will experience trouble. And in the trouble, you can know the peace. In other words, if disciple, listen, if at the moment, and if for a while you've experienced no trouble, no hardship, no persecution, no difficulty, it's not an issue for you to follow Jesus. There's, the, the, there's no conflict between the way in which you live and the way in which the world is. If there's no issues in your relationships, if there's no struggle in your heart, if there's no difficulty in your head, if there's no conflict of who you are and who this world is and what it looks like to be a Christian at work or what it looks like to share Christ in your family, then I have to say, are you following Christ? Because Jesus says there's going to be flipses in this world. It's going to be hard. And you can experience the peace of God in your trouble. See, in this commentary, just before this, Jesus says in John 15, verse 18, I mean, get this, this is hard stuff. He says, this world is going to hate you. And that's one of those passages of Scripture that we kind of, we don't like to memorize that verse. (laughs) You know, you've got, you got John 3.16s on your wall. You've got John 14, and I am the way, the truth. You've got all that stuff on your wall, but you don't have, this world is going to hate you tattooed on your left arm. 
I mean, if someone does, show me, show me later, but you, you, you don't have that. You've got some Philippians verses tattooed on your left arm or something like that, but you don't have. This world is going to hate you because it's not the kind of verse of Scripture that we like to dwell on and meditate on. It's a bit harsh. And Jesus says, no, no, listen. This world hated me. Hated me. It hated my love. It hated my truth. It hated the way in which who I was as a person kind of, kind of uh, impacted people's worlds and exposed some stuff. It hated me. It's going to hate you. Guys, if, if you're expecting popularity as a disciple of Jesus, then what are you doing? They will hate you. And Jesus goes on, I mean, this is hard stuff, I know. He says, they will kick you out of the synagogue. And we go, bully. Because um, we think they're going to kick us out of the church. And we think that wouldn't be a bad thing. They're going to kick me out of the church, oh dear. But actually what Jesus is saying is they're going to kick you out of society. They're going to kick you out of your family. You are going to be ostracized from everybody that you love and everything that you know and everything that you hold dear because you follow me. The people that you care about most will not talk to you anymore. They won't even feed you. They won't give you jobs. They will hate you. You will, you will be a pariah. They, just, they, they will just abandon you completely because of me. I think this is such an important message for, for your generation, for this, your, my, this generation. It's for every generation, for our generation. I'm so used to saying our generation, people going, whatever, that I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I don't know what to say anymore. <laughs> such an important message for our generation because we, we're a generation of entitlement. And we're expecting things to go well for us. And we're expecting things to be prosperous for us. And we're expecting things to work out. And we inoculate ourselves against discomfort. And so we love the teaching that I've been giving over the last few years around the people of peace stuff. We love it. We love that we never have to tell anyone about Jesus. Unless they're really open to hearing about Jesus. Because Jesus says that. If you look for people of peace, if someone is a person of peace, then share faith with them. If they're not a person of peace, then walk away. You don't have to convince anyone about Christ who's not willing and ready to hear about Christ. But here's the thing. How are you ever going to find out whether that person is a person of peace unless you're willing to risk them being a person of unpeace? Does that make sense? I mean, really? You're going to face trouble. You're going to face flipsis. You're going to face people rejecting you and abandoning you. And, and because when you, when you walk into any situation, you don't just hang out as a person who likes people. You hang out as a person who likes people with the authority of Jesus. And that's going to be deeply attractive. And it's going to be deeply offensive. It's going to be deeply offensive. Jesus says this, look at verse 16. You will know joy, but you will know joy in sorrow. It gets nicer. Jesus says, it's a bit like labor. Now, Jesus is probably the only male on the planet ever who could give this illustration. It's a bit like labor. I mean, if a bloke shows up and says, it's a bit like labor, the girls in the room go, whatever. What do you know? It's a bit like labor, says Jesus, the Son of God. He says, what, you, what I mean is this, you experience suffering and it ends in joy. 
But the point he's trying to make is this. It's not that you're going to experience joy. The point he's trying to make is in order to get joy, you've got to experience suffering. In order to get the joy, you're going to have to experience the suffering. You're not going to circumnavigate it or shortcut it or, or, or pretend it's not going to happen. No, no, you've got to experience the suffering. That's trouble. Listen, we have too many sugar-coated versions of following Jesus in our day and age. And if, if I were to preach this sermon in India where we go from time to time, then they know exactly what I'm talking about. The following, following Jesus costs you. It may cost you your family, it may cost you your life, but you're following Jesus because he's right and he's true and he loves me and he died for me. It's not just a convenient way to live. We have too many sugar-coated versions of following Jesus. Too many versions where we declare the provision and prosperity of people and regions. We have cancer-free zones. We have healing and joy and provision and prosperity and peace. And I absolutely believe that is true and possible because the kingdom of God is here and now. And I absolutely believe that in my lifetime this nation will be changed by Jesus Christ. And I absolutely believe that God's on the move. And I absolutely believe that God is healing people. And I absolutely believe that that's happening right now. And I want more of it, but I have to say this, it comes through suffering, through perseverance, through pain, and you don't get one without the other, and, and, and one does not eradicate the other. It's not that we, 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 we live just the cross or we live just the resurrection. We get to live in the light of both, and it causes pain. And it causes questions we don't understand. Jesus says you're going to have peace and you're going to have joy and you're going to have love and you're going to have the presence of God. But it comes in the middle of trouble. And here's the thing. Here's here's the thing. The key to this is a gift. Jesus, I'm asking the Father to send you the Holy Spirit. And all the charismatics in the room say, ah, come Holy Spirit. And all the Pentecostals in the room say, shaka baka baka. There comes the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and we're expecting everything to go great at that moment because the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to deal a blow to this negative preacher and it's all going to be great stuff. And, 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 but when you read it, you want to say, Really? Because the Holy Spirit, at exactly the same time as bringing help, as being an advocate, as being the source of love, joy, and peace, he is going to be the biggest disturbing force that you can ever encounter, and he's going to propel you into a whole lot more trouble than you already were in in the first place. That's what Jesus says. I mean, and check it out. Check, check out the verses. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I'm going away. I'm sending him. He's going to dwell in you. He's going to be the personal divine resident of the believer's heart. You're going to carry the Holy Spirit. What is he going to do? Chapter 15, verse 27. He is going to bear witness to me in you, which sounds great, doesn't it? So the Holy Spirit is going to bear witness to Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the one who was hated. So the Holy Spirit is going to bear witness to Jesus through you. And, this is going to get better, he is going to convict the world in regard to, verse 8, look at this, sin, 
righteousness, and judgment. He's going to convict the world that the world is messed up. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He's going to convict the world that the world is messed up and it's nobody else's fault, it's, it's our fault. He's going to convict the world that there is such a thing called rightness and righteousness and that we can't have it outside of a relationship with Jesus. He's going to convict the world that there is coming a time when the world will be judged and we'll stand before the creator of the universe and as creations, he's going to ask us what we did with what he gave us. He's going to convict the world of that through you. Well, that's going to be nice and popular then. And then, verse 13, check this out. He is going to guide you into all truth, which once again sounds lovely. And you're going to know truth about God and about life and about who you are. And you're going to have understanding about all these things. And you're going to speak truth. It's going to be beautiful. You're going to speak truth in the way that Jesus spoke truth. There's going to be no lies that come from your lips. You're going to be truthful with one another. And it's going to create an incredible atmosphere of truth. But here's the rub. Here's the rub. Here's the truth. This is also incredibly disturbing. Because, because as you speak truth, it's going to expose lies. Every time you speak truth and walk in the light, you're going to expose lies and manipulation. You're going to expose half-truth. You're going to expose darkness. Every time you decide to walk in the truth and say, no, no, that's not true. This is true. This is how it is. Every time you do that, if you live a life that is absolutely 100% speaking truth, living truth, and walking in truth, you will be a shining example of truth, and you will expose everything that is lies and is darkness, and that is going to convict and convince the world, and you're going to be deeply unpopular because it is countercultural as much as it's counterintuitive and the world is going to hate you because of those things Jesus says will you follow me God will be glorified God will get a witness the church will be the church. Our lives will be incredibly fruitful. And you will know, look at verse 22, the joy of God. And you will know, verse 24, the provision of God. And you will know, verse 27, the love of God. And you will know, verse 33, the peace of God. And it will be of a different class but it's not the opposite of trouble. It's not the opposite of opposition or pain or loss. It's wrought through it. And it's more beautiful because it's wrought through it. Through the storm, in the storm, not avoiding the storm. Cancer and the love of God and the peace of God and the provision of God. And sometimes healing. Always trouble and always the presence. Rejection and singleness and divorce and issues with your sexuality and depression and joblessness and homelessness and addiction through the storm, in the storm. 
by the storm, love and joy and peace and presence. And it's a hard path. But you have to choose to follow and to walk it. It's a hard path because you have to look for the people of peace by risking the people of unpeace. It's a hard path because you have to speak truth, but you risk offense. It's a hard path because you have to allow your life to be a conduit of the Holy Spirit, and it will break your heart and it will save lives. It's a hard path because it will be too hard to carry, but you will end up carrying others into the kingdom of God. It's a hard path. It's cost-benefit. Jesus said, for the, we're told that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the benefit, he paid the price. Jesus said, would you follow me? And if you follow me, you will have trouble in this world. But in the trouble, you will have peace. Because I have overcome the world. And it will not be popular. And you will see God. And you will not be on everyone's Christmas card list. But yours is the kingdom of heaven. So come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us and use us. Use our minds and our hearts and our hands. Help us to, to, to know what you did, Father, and do the greater works. Help us to bear fruit in every season. Help us to see people come to know you. Help us to see lives healed and transformed. But disturb us and make us disturbing. Put us in places we don't want to go for the sake of your kingdom. Cauterize our lives and cut away the stuff that is incompatible with Jesus. And bring on the flipsis. We don't want to experience the pain. But we know that your peace will come. We know that your joy will come. We know that your love will come. And we know that your provision will come. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we want to follow Jesus. And we love the love, joy, peace. We love the comfort and we love the assurance of the Holy Spirit. We love the power. We love that we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But we ask that you'd help us to take up our cross, deny ourselves and follow. 
We ask that you give us wisdom to see the trouble for what it is and walk through it anyway. We ask that you train and hone our hearts and lives to run hard after you with perseverance and faith. And we ask in the trouble that we experience right now, in, in the sickness, in the heartache, in the confusion, in the depression, in the guilt, in the shame, in all the things that we experience because this world is a messed up place, we ask for the ability of the Holy Spirit to stand and we ask that the peace of God would come. And we ask it in Jesus' name.